we're flying along and we're over the Everglades. And there's just miles and miles and miles of nowhere. If you land, you're probably going to get eaten by probably mosquitoes rather than crocodiles. But um, that was a worse, worse area as far as you could land, but it wouldn't be very much fun, you know. Episode 39, Dave Campbell, Glider Piloting. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Welcome to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Travis Parsons. Our guest today is Dave Campbell. Dave is the owner of Mile High Gliding in Boulder, which is in its 17th year of operation. In the late 70s, Dave moved to the United States from the United Kingdom, where he began his glider career in the early 70s. He's been a glider pilot for more than 40 years. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Hi. So Dave, take a few minutes, if you would, and tell us about your connection to glider flying. Well, um, I, uh, I I learned to fly gliders back in England uh, in the early 70s. I used to work for British Airways and um, and and flew gliders in my you know it was a passion to fly gliders in my spare time and just just really loved it. Um, flew cross country and uh, just had a wonderful time. It was very the camaraderie of, uh, of the club atmosphere as well was was really good, and uh, and then when I came over here, I continued to fly uh, for fun and, uh, and and commercially. So you mentioned cross country. What does that mean? Well, we um, we race gliders cross country. Um, and uh, basically, when the old days, what we used to do was um, take a camera along with us and a barograph, which basically keeps track of the fact that you didn't land. Uh, and and the, the cameras were to take pictures of things on the ground when you turned uh, a turn point. And so you'd race from like a triangle um, and take pictures to prove you went round a turning point, and the fastest person around the course, you know, would win the day. Um, so anyway, that's happened. now. Now it's all done with GPSs uh, because you don't, you know, it, the GPS will record uh, the fact that you haven't been on uh, landed and 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 where you've gone across the ground. Yeah, they gather gather your altitude and your coordinates. So, what yeah. kind of distances would you cover? I mean, what are the the longest distances you have flown cross country? Uh, the longest I've flown flown is uh, six hundred kilo, uh, kilometers. Um, wow! Yeah, to get a gold badge, you need to fly uh, five hundred kilometers in a. Um, either an out and return or a triangle. Um, and I do have my, uh, sorry, a diamond badge. I do have my diamond badge, which is uh, flying uh, 500 kilometers and um, uh, actually a f- uh, an altitude gain of um, uh, 3,000 meters. Um, I've, I've actually been to... 36,000 feet over the Rockies in a glider. <laughs> That's up there in a, in a uh, engineless aircraft. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, in a glider, you can, you can literally see the curvature of the Earth. It's, uh, it's something else. That's amazing. I've read that you can actually get higher altitudes in the wintertime uh, rather than the summertime. Is that true? Yes. Um, and that's when I went to... Uh, 36,000, and they've been up to uh, like 50, 
50,000, and that's over the Sierras. Um, and it's what we call mountain wave. Mountain wave is something that occurs, obviously, in the mountains. And the air uh, performs the same way as the water does in the ocean and creates waves um, when it gets pushed up by the mountains. And we basically surf up and down um, the uh, the updrafts, and they create what we call lenticular clouds. And you've probably seen them in the in the skies um, around the Rockies here. They're lens-shaped clouds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and they're the result of uh, air traveling up, and actually the air is moving through those through those clouds at you know up to hundred hundred miles an hour um, or so, um, and Although the wave is standing still, the air is moving through. Uh, the cloud is standing still. The air is moving through it, just like you know, just like a ripple in a river. You know, um, when you see um, the white water in a river, it's stationary, but the actual the water is moving through it over the rocks. You know? Right. Yeah, that's neat. I, you know, by am no expert by far in. Uh, in the thermal effects of, of, you know, being over the mountains and whatnot, I would have just assumed if anybody asked me, I would have assumed that summertime would be the time when you would actually catch the, the best thermals and get the, the chance to, to get up there the highest. But it was, it was interesting to read about the, the winter thermals. I can't imagine flying on a commercial airliner at, you know, 35,000 feet and above and, and looking out my window and seeing a glider up there with me. That must be a, a bizarre moment. Yeah, what what we've got is we've got what we call a wave window, and you said that thermals in the winter. We don't get thermals in the winter; it's wave. We do get good thermals over the uh, over the mountains in the summer, but that's a different phenom- phenomenon. Um, when you say um, flying along in an airliner. Um, we we can't go above eighteen thousand feet normally, but what we have is a, a space, a, a block of airspace that actually gets closed off when we when we call call up um, Denver Center, and basically they give us a, a block of airspace to thirty, forty thousand feet, whatever he asks for, and um, they actually fly the airliners around that block of airspace and that's given to us oh that's neat so is this something you're trying for or you're just saying hey this is a great day i'm great gaining great altitude let me call denver center and have them clear this for me today right now yeah well um when we go up to high altitudes it's it's a specific you know we have to take oxygen oxygen and uh, and I was actually trying for a badge when I went up to, to that high. And then you have what you call lenticular pins, Lenny pins. And they're for, um, uh, I think I got a double Lenny or, uh, you know, for going up to above, I think it's above 30,000. Um, so we're, we're specifically, you know, make a, a point of, calling center on a specific day to open up the window and we're going to go high. It doesn't happen very often, you know, it's just um, selective days. Right, right. I imagine you become quite the the weatherman in watching for these days and doing what you do. Yeah, um, we, like, I know it's going to be raining tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you but, know about as much as I do then. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, we... We do tend to understand the weather a little bit more, and we look at it a little bit closer. And um, you know, if we're going to be flying across country, we we tend to um, uh, study the what the weather is going to be doing, especially where we're um, and and often when we declare where we're going to go, it's based on what we think the weather is going to be doing in certain certain places. Right. And you mentioned um, thermals um, above the mountains. And in fact, actually, the thermals in the summer 
which are um, created by the the sun heating the ground and triggering triggering a thermal. That happens um, a lot in the mountains, basically because you've got these these um, sides of the mountains that are facing the sun that are um, you know usually rock and uh, and dark, and they heat up and then create the thermals. And so we do get really good thermals over the mountains, and uh, typically they'll go up to um, twenty. Above 18, like 20, and who knows how high they are? 20, 22, 23. We're only allowed to go to 18,000 in the summer, so I wouldn't know how high they are because they're going plenty high for your needs. Yeah, yeah. And then we basically in the summer you will see all these little puffy clouds out, and you'll notice usually they're um, a lot of times over the mountains, and we. We basically hop from one to the other, and that's how we fly long distances. That's very cool. Well, I think that uh, that's my excuse for not knowing that there were actually uh, you know mountain waves over over the mountains in the winter because I used to fly a remote control glider as a hobby, and I would only do it in the summer looking for thermals. There was no way I was standing out there in the middle of winter to fly that glider. Yeah, well, you wouldn't actually <laughs> in a, in a. In a, in a small remote control glider, you wouldn't actually be able to contact the mountain wave. Right, right. It's uh, a long way. Um, all, all you would manage to be able to do in the winter would be ridge soar, you know, which they actually do ridge, ridge soar gliders a lot. Uh, but that's a different, different type of lift. Right. You'd be able to uh, um, contact the, uh, the wave. Plus, it's very, very violent. Um, you, you can you, not only do you have the wave which is very smooth there in between the waves you have what we call the rotor and it's like a washing machine and it, it, sometimes you'll look up and if you see the lenticular clouds you'll also, also see a company in those uh, what we call rotor clouds and it's basically like being inside a washing machine when you get in one of those um, if if you've ever flown over the uh, over the mountains coming back from from anywhere, once once you get start to descend and you you contact these waves and the rotors, that's how rough it can get. And if you've ever flown an airplane over the front range, that's when you get start to get tossed around. Is when they start coming into Denver and descend in the winter into the wave. Yeah, you're not kidding. I used to do, uh, in the wireless industry, I used to do testing from time to time in a small aircraft, a Mooney, uh, and coming back from the west, dropping down into, uh, you know, the Rocky Mountain uh, is what it's called now, the deal with Jeffco Airport. And yeah, yeah. We, we would get tossed around like crazy coming in over the over the foothills. Well, that's what we look for in the reverse. We look for that to actually, uh, you know, go high in, you know. So why would you encourage people to take their first glider ride? Because um, it's fun. Um, gliding basically has no use um, other than just put a smile on your face and, and, and just enjoy flying. Um, you know, you hear about it being, you know, quiet and, uh, and serene and so on. Well, it really is, you know, and you're literally, you know, like one of the birds, and using using the um, nature to stay aloft. You know. Yeah, I can see that. You know, you and I were joking before the interview a little bit about cell phones and how they can be a nuisance. But I can yeah. I get that you being a glider pilot to get that engine out of the way, you know, has got to be a, a such a serene, surreal, you know, way to to be up there in the air. I, as my high gliding, we employ um, a lot of young kids that are coming uh, coming up and want to be, um, you know, eventually they want to be airline pilots. And I'm one of the places they come to get hours so that they can move on, you know, eventually to be in the airlines. And um, also we get kids that, that, that come uh, work for us as fine boys, you know, um, when they're 13, uh, and and they can 
we can stolen them when they're 14. And, you know, people that realize that they've got a passion and want, want to learn to fly when they're young and find bother to find out that they can actually fly gliders and stolen them when they're 14. Um, I've got a young kid that um, actually has gone on. He's flying uh, corporate jets now. And he's like, um, I don't think he's 21 yet. But he came and, and worked for me one weekend when he was 13. He paid his own way to learn to solo. Go, went on to get his, um, his, his license when he was 16. He then went on to get his commercial when he was, I think it's 18, and then his instructor rating, and then and then he flew for um, uh, Key Lime. He started out flying for Key Lime. Well, he he came and flew for me commercially um, in the tow planes. And then he went to Key Lime, and now he's flying a corporate, either a jet or. A, Right. Wow. Good for him. That shows some serious ambition and drive. Yeah, he's one of our real success stories, and he's just such a clever kid. Um, he's passed all his exams with flying colors. All the examiners in in Colorado know of him, you know, just because he does such a wonderful job. And uh, and if it can fly, he flies it. But he enjoys flying. You know, there's such a lot of uh, people out there that are flying uh, jets around, you know, commercially, that it's a job, you know, they don't really enjoy flying. It's uh, it's just a job they've got. But then there's also the people that fly jets that on their, on their days off and their weekends, they come down and they own gliders and they come fly down at the glider port. We have several commercial airline pilots, you know, from... Southwest and uh, United and Frontier that own their own gliders or come work for me and give rides on the you know on the days off. Well, those are the guys that I want to be my pilot, the ones that have a passion for it, not the ones just driving a desk in their mind. Yeah, that I had two Southwest uh, kids that were here on courses at Denver, uh, upgrading to captains, and they came down to you know look at the glider port and, uh, you know, want to, you know, get some lessons. Um, we, we get many, many airline pilots. You know. The Boulder Outdoor Center wants to help you get outdoors and have some fun. With their adventures, lessons, guided trips, and gear, they make it super simple for you and your family to experience dozens of adventure sports. Located in Boulder, Colorado, the Boulder Outdoor Center offers adventures from ATV tours to hot air balloon or glider rides over the Rockies. Try your hand at stand-up paddleboarding, whitewater rafting, horseback riding, and much, much more. Visit the Boulder Outdoor Center on the web at www.boc123.com or give them a call at 303-444-8420. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Will you help us spread the word about the show? First, tell your friends to give us a listen. You can also help us out by taking a minute and going into iTunes to subscribe, then rate and leave us a review. Thanks for being a part of our show. So gliders and training, anybody that lives in Colorado or has driven through on vacation drives often drives by the Air Force Academy down in Colorado Springs. And one of the things you see very frequently is them towing gliders up to train their students. Um, why, why do they use gliders? Why not planes with engines? I mean, of course, they teach with planes with engines ultimately, but why incorporate the gliders into their training? Well, they do later on in their training. But uh, one of the things that uh, the academy, I think I, their goal was to, uh, they give everybody 13, um, 13 glider flights. And 
the objective is to solo them. And back back in the old days, back when uh, they used to fly Schweitzers, which are actually what I own, which are very easy gliders to fly. And the Academy owned a fleet of Schweitzer uh, 233s, and they're very easy to fly. I mean, they fly by themselves very easily. And so um, if you gave 13 flights to these young kids that learn very quickly, um, they were soloing something like 80, 90%, I think it was. Uh, and what they would do is just give them one solo, and then they were done. Later on, if they, um, all of them want to be, you know, jet fighter pilots and fly go fast, you know. Right. Um, but um, that was the goal, was to solo, solo them. Now, they, um, gliders have, have gotten more, um, they're actually better in, in as far as flying cross country and all the rest of it, but they don't, they're not as easy to fly. It's basically the difference between like a Volkswagen bug and a Porsche, you know. Um, and we, we just had one of the academy instructors up and I was actually asking him and he said, yeah, um, I asked him how many kids he'd solo and his, it was about, um, on the kid, kids that he'd trained, about 40%, he, um, less than 40%, actually. Um, he, he'd, uh, you know, soloed four and not soloed six or something like that, you know. Um, but he'd come up uh, from the academy uh, to get his civilian license. He's instructing down at the academy. They have their own... Um, way of doing things and uh, they teach the kids to be instructors at the academy but he's on the um, aerobatic team and there's a bunch of them uh, they're on the aerobatic team and uh, they're on their way over to um, Czechoslovakia or Poland or somewhere to do uh, to go on an aerobatic competition and they have to have civilian licenses for that so there's about Eight or nine of them that uh, are coming up to get their civilian licenses, um, uh, so that they can go over there and compete. And we've already given, I think, it's three licenses, and the rest of them are, you know, in the pipeline. We were talking earlier about um, uh, Sully, the guy that landed uh, in the. Well, it wasn't a landing as much as a controlled crash, but you know. <laughs> yeah, in the Hudson. Yeah, he uh, he started his career and uh, soloed gliders down at the um, down at the academy, and uh, basically he always knew that if the engines, if both the engines stopped, um, that basically it was a big glider, and in the back of your head, you always you always know. What you're going to do, you know, when we fly gliders, we aerotope, and we always know what we're going to do if the rope breaks. And 99% of the time, we're going to make it back to the airfield. But if not, we're going to put it in a field or a flat piece of uh, flat piece of ground. And Sully chose the only flat piece of ground there was around. Everywhere. Yeah, there's no not much flat around New York City. Well, that's right. Everywhere else, was, uh, and even if he tried to try to go in, I think he was cleared to go in one of the smaller uh, smaller airfields. Um, in actual fact, and it's been uh, they've done it on simulators. If he tried that, he would have gone off the end of it, and uh, you know, basically crashed into a whole bunch of houses and everything. Right. So, uh, um, he. he that's basically what you know. Every every airplane is 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 a glider once the the engine stops. And um, we talked earlier. I mean the the shuttle, that's the biggest glider going. Um, that's all it is is a glider. And uh, and and in fact, actually, 
there was um, we were down in Winterhaven. Uh, my business when I first started it, I was going to actually go to uh, in the winters. I was going to take um, take our gliders down to uh, Florida, and we actually ever towed a glider all the way to Florida. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and it was it because because we were going to set up operations in um, in Florida in the winter, and uh, there was a glider port down there, and they had shuttle pilots that would give rides on the you know on the days off on the weekends down there. Yeah, we we I I aired a, we aero towed a, um, a glider all the way from California to Boulder. I went. I needed to buy a glider and I needed to buy a tow plane. And so uh, we went to California and bought a glider and a tow plane. And then we aero towed it all the way back to Boulder. And then I took the same glider a year later and aero towed that glider all the way to Florida. So it's been over both oceans. Wow, that's impressive. I know, and I own that. I mean... We didn't do it in one go, obviously, but... Uh, well, yeah, but, uh, but well, as you're describing it, I'm thinking of all the fuel stops, you know, so you got to take this thing off, and you're not you're not flying a plane that's got a, a lot of distance in it, you know, so you're you're taking off, you're towing this thing, and I'm sure you have, you have to unhook, land both planes, and fuel up the tow plane, and then hook them back up, go back up again. You, I mean, how many fuel stops do you have across the country? It's got to be, what, a dozen? Oh, at least, yeah. Um, the The... You talk about the the interest, most interesting part of of the trip from California. We we kept we had to um, go around a storm that kept moving us um, further south all the time. <laughs> right, uh, and it was during the Columbine incident um, that we were doing it, and so um, that storm that was over Columbine at the time was what was pushing us further and further um, to the south, and. W- we're in the middle of the desert. We're flying along. And all of a sudden, we're flying along. And there's this big hole in the ground. And it was the um, where the comet had hit down in... Uh, so that's where we were. Uh, and I think that's something like 100 miles from anywhere. Yikes. Yeah. So, <laughs> How do we get here? <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, it was... It was... It was fun. It was an exciting trip, that's for sure. Yeah, I've been in those situations, not not done a ton of flying, but like I said, when I used to do some of the, the testing in the wireless industry whatnot, um, you know, I would get to, to fly uh, co-pilot and, you know, it'd be at the controls and we'd be under visual flight rules and we'd have this massive thunderhead and, you know, we would be heading for a gap essentially and by the time you get up there the darn gap closes up and you get a bank and you try to fly around this thing and then it moves again on you so as you describe this you know the storm moving and pushing you south i can completely visualize it because it's just if you're under vfr rules it's just like you have an obstacle you can't go through there because you don't you know you're not on radar you know for you or other planes so yeah we had to keep running away from the weather and the weather kept pushing us further down right and you know you talk about fuel stops and so on well we only had a pawnee which didn't have much of a range and so um when when as you know when you fly from you know fly from a to b or fly anywhere you need to um have where you're going then you need to have an alternative so that if you can't get to where you're going, you can go somewhere else to land, and it, it should be somewhere with fuel. When we were down in the middle of the desert, you know, um, our alternative, when we took off and flew um, from A to B, our our alternative was where we came from. It was A again. So we, we had to turn back before... Um, before you got we, too far. Yeah, if we knew we couldn't get to B, we had to turn back and go back to A because down there, there just isn't anywhere. Right. I mean, that, it, 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 that crater is in the middle of nowhere. And we were flying a glider on Erito. <laughs> yes, this is a bad sign. <laughs> and it was just it was crazy, it really was. But it was, it was completely safe uh, 
because we always knew, like like I say, if the if the rope broke, we were going thermal and, and we'd probably get there um, under thermals. Right. Um, and uh, and if not, we'd land in the desert. But you know, there was places to land, and uh, yeah, that's what we did. Well, therein lies the upside of a glider. You have that option if you're on a uh, an aircraft with engines. You don't get that option. Your your glide slope is pretty quick and pretty brutal. Well, during the the second part of that trip, when we were flying down to um, Winter Haven, Florida, um, we're we're flying along and we're over the Everglades, and oh, there's boy. just miles and miles and miles of nowhere. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, you, if you land, you're probably going to get eaten by probably mosquitoes rather than crocodiles. But um, <laughs> it's probably yeah. true. Yeah, uh, so that was that was a worse worse area as far as you could land, but it wouldn't be very much fun. You know? No, that's got to be nerve wracking. Well, you just have to concentrate, and not break the rope. Right. Right. <laughs> So you started flying gliders in England. Tell us a story about the great experience that got you hooked on it. I was actually water skiing with a friend uh, um, who found out that I worked for British Airways. And he said, uh, what do you mean? You, you, you work for British Airways and you, you, you don't fly gliders. You don't, you know. And I didn't even know you could. Um, I had no idea. So he took me up and uh, and so I went for a glider ride with him uh, and then just got hooked on it and uh, and basically you could fly for next to nothing at British Airways Gliding Club and that's how I I got started on it and I became an instructor and taught people to fly over there. Basically there you just do everything, you volunteer, you know, uh, your time uh, to teach the sport and it's more of a, a sport thing back back in England, when I came over here, although they, they do have clubs, uh, for the most part, things are done, you know, on a commercial basis. So you, as I do, we, we try and make a living, uh, uh, teach people to fly and giving them rides. Um, so that's basically what got me hooked. And then flying cross country uh, in competitions and racing is just... Uh, so much fun, you know, because um, you're racing, but you don't actually see anybody you're racing with, other than if you get together in a thermal and there's, you know, 10, 15 people in a thermal or whatever. Uh, but for the most part, you don't know how well you've done until you get back and and uh, and they score everything. And back in those days, they, they used to have to take the films and develop them overnight and... Uh, Everybody'd stay up all night developing films and then looking to make sure you'd gone around the, the turn points you, you were supposed to go to. Now, it's all done with GPSs. You land, you give them one of those little potato chip things, and uh, and then they um, they figure out the scores almost instantly, you know. Right. So technology has ru- ruined the, uh, the anticipation for you. Well, it... <laughs> uh, it, it it's 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 changed things a little bit, but uh, it's still you know it's still fun. I I haven't raced in uh, a few years now, but I've raced over here a few times, um, and uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, I've raced in um, Minden, which is Lake Tahoe, and uh, and then down in Texas. Most of the great places to fly gliders are in the middle of nowhere. They're in the armpit of the world, usually. Um, we're very lucky that in Boulder, we're one of the most beautiful places in the world. Um, but a lot of times they're in the middle of the desert, and because uh, that's where all the best thermals are. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Over the mountains, you know. But usually the desert is where, you know, things heat up and you get really strong, uh, great racing conditions. Right. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. 
The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. Don't forget to go to adventuresportspodcast.com and look for that click to call button on the left hand side of the screen. Click that, you punch your number in, and you'll be automatically connected with our voicemail service, which will allow you to leave a message and tell us about your awesome story about your amazing adventure. We want to hear your stories. Give us a call, guys. Thanks. So how about a time when you had to deal with an emergency flying a glider? I'm sure there are situations yeah, that have come up. It happened in Minden, um, and uh, I ended up lightly crashing um, a, a glider there. Basically, it was it was sort of a ground loop, and I broke the tail. But um, it was quite scary in as far as I let the situation... Um, I let the situation take control um, instead of me being in control of the situation. As I said to you, we can always land in a field if we have to. But when we're racing, we want to get back to where we, you know, we want to get back to the airfield. Right. And, um, basically, what I did was I chose, made a bad decision of how to get back to the the airfield and uh, thought I had a glide to the airport made, which originally I did, and then I hit some stink. Um, we talk about hot air going up near Lake Tahoe. The cold air from the lake kind of falls down the hill, and you get some stink, and that's what I was in. And so I chose a field. What they do is, is they, they dig ditches in the fields and flood them. Um, to grow alfalfa. And so the fields have got ditches along whichever way it is. And so this this particular field had um, ditches running across the width of it. Speed bumps. Pardon? Speed bumps. Yeah, they were, <laughs> they were real speed bumps. I mean, the, the field was flat as a pancake other than the fact it had these ditches in it. Um, and actually, when we when I drove the trailer in there behind the car to get the glider at the end, you couldn't even drive a car across, you know, because wow. well, because the wheel sank. These ditches were like you know a foot, two foot down, and about a foot wide, and then and then you had um, about five foot of beautiful flat grass, basically. So. I could have landed um, along the width of it, but it was real narrow, and so I didn't think that the width was was a good idea. So I chose the length, which had the ditches. So I was landing, you know, across the ditches. Of course, as soon as I touched down, the wheel went in a ditch and basically tore the wheel off. Right. Uh, and then, if I'd managed to keep the wings level, I'd have probably been all right, but one of the wings went down and touched the grass. And so we spun around, put a ground loop, and basically um, broke, the, broke the tail off. Because um, I don't know if you've ever seen gliders, but they're pretty weak back at the end of the fuselage in the high-performance ones. And so it was disconcerting. I did a lot of damage to the airplane. I, we were all right. I, I had somebody with me at the time. Um, and... Uh, you know, nobody was hurt. Right, but everybody walks away from it, and that's the that's the important thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Was, um, most of the times, you know, an, an off-field landing a glider is supposed to be completely non-event, you know, non-event, you know. And uh, so that was a little bit disappointing, but... Um, and it was basically letting the situation... Because I'd passed up fields would have been a better choice, 
um, and, and I could have landed in those. In fact, I actually put the wheel down once and was going to land in one of them. And then I thought I could get back, and then, you know, it was like, basically indecision was what got got me in that situation and, and got the airplane broke, you know. Well, a lot of things are easier to figure out when we're Monday morning quarterbacking them. Right. Well, um, breaking a glide is not a good thing either. You know, <laughs> you, know it, you should never make that mistake. You know, people say, I mean, several people land with uh, the undercarriage up in, in powered airplanes, you know, and there's the old story, well, there's those that have and those that will. But no, that's not true, you know. There's a lot, there's many, many people that haven't landed with the wheels up. You right, know? right. And, uh, and it's not a good thing. But, um, but that's an accident that basically just costs money. Nobody usually gets hurt, you know. But then you've got um, the power pilots. Most most powered accidents are basically because they turn the thing into a glider. They run out of gas. Um, most, I don't know what the numbers are, but a very, very high percentage of airplane crashes are because the guy ran out of gas and, and then crashed as a result. Flying a, a hang glider or a paraglider or something, you know, something that you don't have to rely on engine power to propel you through the air gives you that little added bit of safety, which is kind of reassuring. Um, we, uh, the, the envelope's so small with those things, and by that I mean, you know, the, the, the conditions, the air, air turbulence and so on, they can actually fold up one of those things. I mean... Back in the old days, I mean, back when I first started gliding was when those things started to come out and somebody went out and got a couple of bed sheets and uh, <laughs> curtain rods and they made their own and then they went up a hill. And they really did. That's actually how I got back into motorcycling. I had a motorcycle when I was a kid and, and got back into it, oh, I don't know, five, six years ago or so. And... uh but the reason I got back into it is I kept looking up at the sky and there was a guy that used to fly out of the airport in an ultralight and be some hot summer day, but he'd be up there in the evening when the sun was setting and it just looked so peaceful. He was up there, you know, a few hundred feet where it was a little bit cooler and he was yeah. just motoring over town. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to get one of those. And she said, no, you aren't. I'd rather see you on a motorcycle. So yeah. I bought a motorcycle instead, but yeah. <laughs> I still want my ultralight. The there's nothing wrong with them other than the fact that um, they're at the mercy of the um, conditions, and especially around here, where they can be quite turbulent. Um, so, I mean, a bit like balloons. That's why you, you see them flying usually earlier in the day or whatever. But they've also gotten better. Like I said, they, re they keep re redesigning them. They've got rigid wings and so on and so forth. That's where us in the gliders, you know, we can fly in the middle of the winter in these conditions that are incredibly turbulent, and we fly in conditions that uh, most airplanes wouldn't want to go in, you know. And the airplanes that we fly, gliders we fly, are very, very strong. So I've got one glider that actually flew in Vietnam. It was one of the first stealth airplanes um, designed. It was... Um, they put a propeller on it that turned very slowly and it it flew over Vietnam at night, basically sniffing uh, for ammonia and then basically mapping where the Viet Cong were, you know, by their urine. That was until the, basically it didn't work because the Viet Cong got smart and peed in cups and hung them on the, on the trees. <laughs> I've not heard that one before. That's great. Yeah, it was it was the truth, and, and I've got that airplane. It it uh, it actually flew in Vietnam. Wow, that's very cool. Bruce, the guy that owned uh, the cloud base, which is where I bought um, where I bought the equipment, he'd taken that airplane and uh, turned it back into the original glider that it was. It was basically built by Lockheed, and it was like I said, it was one of the first stealth airplanes. Um, there was one of the, you know, stealth and, and also basically almost into these UAVs that are unmanned, but, you know, that was manned. Right. 
Well, that is uh, that makes for a brave pilot. I cannot imagine going up in an unpowered. Well, I guess you said that did have a small uh, propeller that spun yeah, slowly. Yeah, had a propeller that turned very, very slowly, and uh, and you know it needed like you know three miles of runway or something to get off right. the ground. Um, and it, it was funny because I actually, you know, we have. I had some people that came um, to fly, and we told them the story, and they go, "Wait a minute, we were in, uh, you know, we were in Vietnam," and he said we were all like drunk in our hooch one night, you know, one night, and we heard something flying around. He said we didn't want to, or we thought we saw something. We thought it was like, you know, aliens or. Something. Then, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say anything because we've been drinking. <laughs> right. Are we imagining this or is it really happening? Yeah, but he's going, maybe that's what we saw was 7-2 Whiskey because um, it was, yeah, it was out there at that time, you know. That's funny. Yeah. Well, I can attest to the, the strength of the gliders. Um, many years ago, oh, it was probably, I would guess, eight, nine years ago, Um my wife had bought me a, a gift certificate to your company, Mile High Gliding. Oh, and, you did credit right. Yeah, and I took up the uh, – I went up in the aerobatic flight, and I mentioned it previously on this podcast. But that is some of the, some of the most fun I have ever had, I, I have to say. Uh, going up there and doing wingovers and loops you know, in that thing was, was just phenomenal. Yeah, that was probably 7-2 Whiskey. That was probably the airplane that flew in there now. Well, that's why I mentioned it. I wondered if it was. It was a silver and orange one. Silver and orange, yeah. That's, that's it? That's it. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah. Okay, so do me a favor and tell us a little bit more about Mile High Gliding. What is it do you do? Tell us about your operation. Well, we, um, we basically um, teach people to fly and we give rides. So call us up, basically you book a ride. And, and we'd be glad to give anybody that mentions, uh, you know, your show, you know, like a 10% discount. That... Oh, that'd be great. So when you're booking, just men mention Adventure Sports Podcast to get a 10% discount. We appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, so, um, you know, typically people come, do a ride, and on the ride we'll, uh, we'll sit them up front and they'll go with an instructor or commercial pilot and uh, we'll uh, let them fly it. And if they enjoy it, come back and do what we call an introductory lesson. And that's in one of our gliders that are easier to fly. You know, they're an easy airplane to fly. And um, uh, basically do a lesson and then basically go on and spend, you know, about $5,000, five, $6,000. And you go from not being able to fly to getting a license and flying by yourself and uh, take your friends up. And then you can go on for there and fly in the higher performance stuff and so on, you know. And the uh, sky's the limit? Well, basically, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say, I mean, whether you're looking to ultimately get your pilot's license or just doing it for the fun, I highly recommend it. I need to come back and do it again. I talk about it way too much not to have done it more recently, but it is a it is a true blast. And you know, if you're someone that really likes the idea of, of, you know, doing the flips and some aerobatics in the air, take the aerobatic ride. They take you up over the flat irons, over the foothills uh, west of Boulder. And the pilot, you know, will will take you as far as your stomach will allow you to go. Um, and it, by doing the wingovers and the, and the rolls and whatnot, the loops, and just being able to witness glider flying like that is truly an amazing experience. But you guys have gliders like you said they're more docile you can go up and just take a nice ridge sore run yeah. and come back to the airport so you don't have to do all the flips and stuff if your stomach doesn't allow it right, right. yeah um yeah it's uh you know we got several 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 um rides you know even down to uh a real short one just up over town that's um like 90 bucks i think you know for uh, i mean it's quite a short flight but um and we can actually take two people. Um, when we take two people, um, we have to remove the stick. So uh, we can't let you fly it. And we put you side by side. And there's a weight restriction of 300 pounds. 
So um, uh, you've got to be kind of skinny people. <laughs> sure. Well, that brings up the idea of kids. I assume there's no issue with children going up with a parent? No. Um, we fly them. Uh, people ask us to take them uh, like a three and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, they need to be old enough. I mean, they need to be old enough to appreciate it, but and old enough that we can actually strap them in too. You know, right. Seatbelt on them. But yeah, we take kids with their uh, um, parents all the time. You know, one a single parent all the time, and put them on a booster seat. You know, I mean, seven years old. You know, stuff like that. You know, and actually, the shorter flight's good for you know a young kid. You know. Okay, and you guys operate out of the Boulder Airport which is obviously right in Boulder up of Foothills Parkway. Your website, people can find you at milehighgliding.com. Yeah. And your phone number there is 303-527-1122. Yeah. Great. All right, Dave, how about a funny story to end the podcast with? Funniest thing that's ever happened to me was um, I landed in a field back in England. You know, we'd have... um, We'd have uh, trailers, um, you know, several several gliders. They'd all be rigged and in the hangar, and then trailers that were um, sometimes two trailers for two, you know, for different gliders that were in the parking lot. Anyway, I landed in a field and called up and basically had somebody come retrieve me, and uh, they uh, they arrived with the trailer. And I think it was quite a way. They were like 60 or 70 miles away. And uh, they arrived with the trailer. Uh, we, they pulled into the field. We opened up the trailer and there was a glider in it already. The, <laughs> they, were, they were bringing an empty trailer for you? Well, they were supposed to bring an empty trailer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do then? <laughs> several trailers for several gliders that were the same. And they brought one that had a glider in it already. So, yeah, it was like not much use at all. Back to the drawing board on that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great. All right, Dave, thanks so much for spending the time with me. You had some great stories, and uh, I really encourage people to come out and, and check out Mile High Gliding. And, hey, if you're somewhere else in the world and you can't get to Mile High Gliding, just check out Gliding. It's really cool. All right. Thanks, Dave. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Would you like to be a guest on our show? Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click Contact Us. And don't forget to find the Click to Call button on the Adventure Sports Podcast website and tell us your awesome story about your amazing adventure. And don't worry, the voicemail is fully automated. You won't be talking to any humans.